before you actually pick up your Bible, I want you just to just pause and just listen to what I'm going to read. They are great words because they are God's words. So let's listen. It's from Romans 1.16 and it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you pursue us. Lord, I thank you that even at times we might say that life's not fair, we might cry out for justice. But Lord, your justice we don't really want because we'd all end up right where we deserve. Lord, I thank you that you've pursued us, that you, we have known your grace, we have known your mercy because in faith we know your salvation that you've provided for us. Thank you, God, that you give us clarity. Thank you that you've given us yourself in us. Thank you that you have given us your word, Lord, and that we can open it and your spirit in us gives us understanding. As we read it through, you give, enable us to know what we need to know to step forward in faithfulness to you. So, Lord, as we open your word, whether we have faith in you or not, Lord, I ask that you would remove any blindness from our eyes, that we would be able to understand the clarity of who you are, who we naturally are before you and what we have done and what we haven't done and can't do because we, we are unrighteous and you are righteous. Lord, I thank you for being our God. Amen. Genesis. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we, we read from verse 26, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. I'd like to talk based on the word of God, a little bit about a great start in hope, utter despair and hopelessness, and potential hope. And none of it's from us, it's all from God. So as we just read through that verse, and if you're familiar at all with um, the account of creation, you would know that God created all, everything that was. Without him, nothing came into being. He created earth perfect. 
when we read through the, the, the account of creation and we read, and it was good, that's an understatement in our understanding. It was completely perfect. It was sinless. It was flawless in everything that God did, everything that he created. There was nothing missing. And to cap it off, one of the climaxes of creation was when he created human, a human being, when he created Adam. He created him after his likeness. God created human beings after his likeness. That's amazing, isn't it? All the animals, every leaf on a tree, every fish in the ocean, nothing was made after the likeness of God. It was made by God and his mark of creation is upon it. Upon it. But God created mankind that we would be in his likeness. And he placed us in a perfect environment. Nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing needed. Perfect environment, physically and also spiritually, God was there with them in a perfect relationship. No sin, there had been no sin in the human race or in creation. What a place of hope. What better place could you have? It's better than getting a new car and sitting and you go, I love that smell of a new car. No, it's better than that. It was a perfect start. God created man in his image. He created us to love him, to serve him, to honour him and worship him. A blessed position, an honour, a privilege. And God makes no mistakes in it. And then as we continue through scripture, and we're going to end up mainly in Romans here today, but as we get to Psalms, in a Psalms 139, there's a passage there that maybe you're familiar with. I want to read it's a complimentary just to the way that God made us so wonderful in, in, in his own likeness. In Psalm 139, so this is a complimentary passage to the account of creation and how and why God created us and his heart in it. Psalm 139. Verse 13, it says, For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and marvellous are your works, and that my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hid from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes did see my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. So I mightn't have been Adam, you mightn't have been Eve, who was actually the first initial one created or created from Adam. But God is intimate in your creation, in your conception. God knows all about you. The moment of your conception in your mother, God knows how your life is going to be. And he says that you are created wonderfully. You are created fearfully, that is, with respect. God causes you to be created in your mum. What a great position of hope that we have, a God who would do that for us. That is amazing, isn't it? That God cares about us. It's not just time plus chance plus matter and wow, there's an explosion and, oh, you appeared. No. We see the mark of creation. God tells us in Romans 1 that in creation you will see the evidence of him. You will see the evidence of him. So what happened? 
because we know we're not there today, don't we? As we're not still in the Garden of Eden. But yet, as we read through, after chapters 1 and chapter 2 that mainly talk about the story of creation, we get to chapter 3. And there's a classic line in there where, God, um, where Adam and Eve, they know the wisdom that God has given them, they know the truths that God has given them, and they get to the point where the deceiver comes along, where Satan, he has already chosen to sin, to rebel against God. And he comes along and he says to Eve, has God really said? Has God really said? But we'll skip to chap uh, chapter 3 and verse 15. And there you find out that by that time, Adam and Eve have chosen to sin. Adam has sinned. And now we get to where we are today. In a desperate, desperate situation. He'd man made, God had made man and woman in a perfect position of great hope, eternal hope. As created beings to worship God, to serve him. But yet he chose, man chose to rebel against God. He chose to rebel I want to just dwell a little bit and this might get uncomfortable for you and it's not said without grace but I want to make sure truth is said because God created us in hope as in man, he created mankind in the Garden of Eden there and placed him in the Garden of Eden in hope sinless, spotless, faultless with choice but yet as we look around today as we look in the mirror what do we see? We live in a society, in a nation, where, it's, where the sanctity of human life has been removed. Where it's legal to abort your baby, even up to the day of birth. That is what's spoken about, the disgusting acts of sin that's spoken about in Romans chapter 1. Where we completely switch over and the truth we speak against, we say it's wrong. And what is wrong and evil, we say, that's right. That is right. And that's what we're doing today in this land, in this world, in this community. We naturally, we can't just condemn others because we know our own heart. And I'm going to go through here and I'm going to read some scriptures to you and to me. And we're going to look from Romans 6 and Romans 3 about the, our true identity and how desperate and pathetic we are before God in and of ourselves. So let's turn to Romans chapter 5 first. So what are the ramifications of what Adam did? Eve was deceived, we read, and Adam willfully sinned. So Romans chapter 5, it says that through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so that's verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Have you thought about when you, God judged you as a sinner? When he judged all of mankind that you are going to be in sin? Think about that question and as we go through, we'll actually read the answer in scripture. But that, that verse there, as we read it, that through that one man, sin come into the world. 
and was passed on to all of humanity. So all of, all of us are born with a sinful nature. We don't get an option with it. When, when Adam sinned, all of mankind would forever live with imputed sin. That means because he sinned, it was credited or debted against all of us, all of mankind. Right there at the time of his sin and God's judgment on him, God debted that against all of us. We've just read that just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 5, So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. That's still in Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. So through that one man's sin, Adam, death, sin, sinful nature spread to all of us. Even before I was conceived in my mother, even before you were conceived in your mother, God had counted to you that you were going to be a sinner because of the sin of one man on all of mankind. Now you may think there, sit there and think, ha, that's just your thoughts. That's a bit harsh. I'm a good person. That's the thing. You can think those things. But there is an almighty God. And we'll see a bit more of what the, what the answer to that is as we go through. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, we saw that God created and he did, gave us hope. He gave us a great purpose to worship, to serve him. Then in Genesis 3, we saw that Adam sinned and through him sin spread, to even to me, even to you. Romans 5, we just read of the implication of Adam's sin. Because he, the father of us all, sinned, we have all then are born in sin as sinners with a sinful nature. I am guilty before God, God says. I am guilty. Then in Romans 6, it just seems to compound here like, you know, like in the cartoons, you see it rolling down the hill, that, the snowball. But Romans 6 in verse 6, it says that we, were, that we are naturally slaves to sin. We're born as slaves to sin. Sin is our master. Verse 17 says it again, that we are slaves to sin. And again in verse 20 of chapter, Romans 6, it says that we are slaves to sin. Well, it's not our fault then, is it? If I'm a slave, I've just got to do what my master says. Is that how it works? Let's keep reading scripture. In Romans 3, I'm going to actually read through about um, 11 verses here because this is where it gets even more ugly. It gets more ugly. The mirror gets cleaned. I really get to see my face. I get to see who I really am. Romans chapter 3 and starting from verse 9, I'm going to go through to verse 20. What then? Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. So he's using there because they are, previously they are comparing the two groups. But yet don't think because you're not a Jew or you're not a Greek that you're not included. If you read through it in all the context, you are the whole world, all of humanity, past, present and future. So all are under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, 
There, are, there is none righteous, not even one. So before an almighty, holy and righteous God, there is no righteous human being in and of themselves. Verse 11. There are, is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is none, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and that the whole, sorry, the whole world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in, the sight, sorry, in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So just to recap on a past question, I asked, or statement, but I'm not that bad. I'm a, I do good things. The law spoke right there at the end about the law that was given to the Jewish people and any one of any other nationality who wanted to join that faith that God gave. The law was given to show up sin, to make sin known, because no one could keep the law. No one. Not one of us. And they took one discretion one indiscretion where w and someone would be guilty but yet they were already born in sin and were guilty before God already. Now as I read through this it's a New Testament passage now you may be thinking yeah that's just what Paul's saying there. No these are the words of God. This is how God has always been because these are actually all quotes from the Old Testament. In your Bible it may have them in italics or a different font. They're all words of God. How he sees us. Now it may be uncomfortable you may even get a bit down about it. But yet, it is the true reality of how a holy and righteous God sees me. How he sees you. So I want to just recap on verses 9 to 18. Just quickly go over them, but not quick as into disrespect. But please pay attention. So in verse 9, regardless of who you are, who I am, we are all under sin. Sin naturally is our master. Verse 10, none are righteous. None of us, naturally, in and of ourselves, are righteous before God. We do not understand. We don't even seek God. Our natural position is, in all of humanity, we don't. We, all of mankind, have veered away. And this is echoed in Matthew and God says, we naturally, spiritually, we are born and act without him as useless. That's a harsh term. But the interesting thing about that is it defies what a, a, um, a statement, an error that's been taught and has been taught for a number of years and lately has had ground a bit more, gained a bit more ground where people are saying that you have value Therefore, that's why God came and came to save you. That's why he came to save humanity. But we read in 1 Timothy, 
that compliments this here, that spiritually we are useless, where it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, remember when we went through 1 Timothy? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his motive. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But if we go back here now to this chapter, Romans chapter 3, and our natural position without God, how God sees us, he says that our mouth is like an open grave. Now, maybe when you shook my hand or we chatted before church, I had bad breath. You know, oh, I'm glad that was just a short conversation. The ar- compared to the aroma of my sin before God, my bad breath is sweet. My mouth, what naturally comes out of me without God, without Christ, in my natural position as a human being, born in sin, is that my words, my mouth stinks before God. It's like an open grave. And he explains it a little bit with two comments. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. So we are naturally just in a desperate state, aren't we? We are naturally in a desperate state. That's how we are born. We keep reading, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. So he's talking about their body, their being, their actions. But it's not just them, it's me, it's who I naturally am. And the path of peace they have not known. Without God in our natural position, we know no peace. As much as we mightn't have a war going on here, that's not compared, nothing compared to the peace of God. There is no fear from God before them. So naturally, in and of ourselves as human beings, we don't have any merit before God. We have nothing. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sin. Now, we have a hole up on the hill we run cattle and every now and again one of them dies. We take it up there. When we go past it, those dead cattle, and years before it was sheep, they don't produce anything but a stench. A sheep doesn't, if it was a lamb when it got thrown in there, when it died, it doesn't keep growing out to be a 40 kilo, nice fat little crossbred that Danny can sell for me, does it? It decays, it rots, it stinks. We, are, we were dead in sin. We were dead in sin. And a dead body can do nothing. So, maybe I could do something about it? Well, no, because we've already read in Romans that we can't. We can't do anything before God to deal with our sin. And we read that all have sinned. None of us are let off. We can't just go back and blame Adam. It's all his fault. No. God tells us there, if we had to kept reading in Romans chapter 3, that we have all sinned. What a desperate position we are in. Man, I was in a desperate position. This is our natural position as humanity, as mankind. We have no hope without God. We need God. And as I, in that verse in uh, Romans chapter 1 that I've read at the, the start, Romans 1.18, 
I am worthy of God's wrath. The best thing we can hope for is not to have justice before God as a, as a human being. If we, if we do, we are damned to his wrath. And that's a harsh thing, isn't it? So, so far, this has been... We've maybe we've had a mirror and it's been sort of a little bit opaque, a bit of that smoky film over it and we could sort of see what, how we were or maybe we didn't have our glasses on to see clearly. And it's a bit of a reality check. As we read through the word of God, as his spirit speaks to us and he helps us to understand and if we are still at that natural state, then our, he has to open our eyes to give us understanding, like wiping that sort of opaque, smoky, greasy film off the mirror so we can see clearly. Our eyes are opened. But how can they be opened? It's by God. It has to be those great two words, but God. Romans 5 and verse 8. This is our only hope. Because all through humanity, mankind have endeavoured to do it their way. We've tried to deal with our sin problem, but we can't, can we? in who we are born as, that we are born as a, as a sinner. We are born with a sinful nature and we sin through life as much as what we think we're a good person or not that bad, not as bad as them. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. So while I was busy, off busy sinning, Christ died for us. He died for me, he died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So God, God initiated. Roman, uh, John 3.3 3 says you must be born again. We are naturally dead as we read. We're spiritually dead. We need a new life. There needs to be a regeneration. There needs to be a new life in me, a new creation. So that is why Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.3, 3, you must be born again. There has to be this new birth. So what is all of this? Why did we just do communion? Why, we, why is it that Christ came? Why did he have to come? Well, we have a holy and righteous God. He doesn't set the standard of what is holy and righteous. He is the standard. And no one can please him but himself. So if God is going, if our sin debt, our desperate position, at my stinking mouth, my open grave before God, if it is to be dealt with before God, then it has to be God who deals with it. It has to be God. That is why God came in human flesh. That is why Jesus Christ came in human flesh and died on a cross. Now maybe you can remember or you know of the account back at the first Passover when the Jewish nation, the Israelites, they were in Egypt and there was that first Passover where God told them that they were to take a lamb, a perfect lamb. They were to kill it. Its blood was to be put up over its doorpost as a sign of their faith and and through that night, the firstborn would not die. That was the first lamb. And then God instituted from there, using that all the way through the Old Testament, we read of the Passover, referring back to that, how it had to be a perfect lamb had to die for the sins of the people as a covering, only as a covering as they looked forward to the future hope. 
the future hope that, we, that I mentioned before in reading Genesis 3.15, where it talks about how the, to, the sat, to Satan, to the serpent, God said to him, the seed of the woman will bruise you on your head and you will bruise him on his heel. That is a statement looking forward to Christ. It wasn't the son of a man, the seed of a man. It was through the woman and, and God was true to his word. And we see that through Christ's coming, through the, through the woman, conceived by the work of the Holy Spirit in her, that the Saviour come to deal with our sin. My true identity of who I, who I naturally am before an almighty God. In 1 Peter chapter 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a work of God. We read in scripture over and over and over and over again that it is God pursuing me, that it is God pursuing you as a sinner in our natural state. Because as we read here, that he wanted to redeem us, he wanted to save us, and so he did. He came to earth, Christ did, God in the flesh. That's amazing. For the one purpose, to save us, to deal with our sin. And he was that perfect lamb. That's why John, when he saw Jesus coming to him, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as we've just read in 1 Peter, it is through Christ that he came, he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross, that his blood was shed for our sin as the payment, acceptable payment, and that he rose again. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father because that is his position of honour and respect for he is the one who paid the debt. None of us could, none of us did, none of us ever will. That is our saviour. So the value of being a part of God's creation will not save me any more than coming forward or going back. Praying a prayer, getting on your knees, crying when you pray. Nothing we do will deal with my sin or yours. It is in faith. As we read earlier, one of the verses in Romans, that is through faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that anyone can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So going back to an earlier question, an earlier statement, I've done some pretty good things in my life. I don't really need to, do I? I? I should be able to get there. The greatest lie you can ever have in your thinking. And the thing is, we each get to choose what we're going to do here. When we know the truth, what we're going to do with it. If you want to try and get go against God's way, but yet be acceptable to God, my blunt comment would be, be the fool. Because a fool says there is no God and fights against him. And we all get that choice. 
in this life, whether we're going to put our faith in Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But don't forget that it is God and God alone who determines your destiny. If you reject him, you will end up in hell. If I had have rejected him, I would have ended up in hell, as harsh as that is. But that is, the, that is God and that is what he has stated. That is his decision. So as we finish up, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. So, it is an act of grace, we have read in Ephesians 2, that God would deal, come and deal with our sin, that he would come and die for our sinful state so that we could be credited with his righteousness, be forgiven and have eternity with him. So it is grace alone through faith alone. Through faith I accept and have accepted what Jesus Christ has done for me. I can't earn it, neither can you. No one can. God makes that clear in his word. It's through Christ alone, according to the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. It's all God-centred. Salvation, that that is, that I will be forgiven of my sin, it is all God-initiated, orientated, and focused. I can't do anything about it. And in faith, I accept because I understand. He's given me understanding. I believe and accept what he has done. Therefore, I am forgiven that he has paid for my sin. That is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if you're a believer already, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, we get to celebrate. We get to know the reality. But these cold, hard facts of who we were and who others around us are, they should spur us on. Whoever it was that you talked at the cafe, along the road, on the phone this morning, where are they going? What have they decided? Have they given it any thought? Where is God going to find them? Is he going to find them guilty or guiltless because of Christ? Because their faith is in him. So if your faith is already in Jesus Christ, genuine faith in Christ, I urge you, don't waste time not praying for, not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation is in Christ alone because there's no other hope outside of Christ. As we see some of the laws that are made, as we see the way that the world is going, it should spur us on more. It should do to know the truth, to live the truth for God and to speak and share the truth. But if you don't know Christ, if you're, even if you've been here 50 years, if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, God weeps that you've been at church for 50 years or 20 years or two years or one day and that your faith is not in Jesus Christ because you have absolutely no hope. If that was me... I would have no hope. I would be the biggest hypocrite having said what I've said, having heard what I've heard and then not repenting. So God urges each of us to repent of who we are, to identify that we're a sinner. He 
before God, to repent, in faith to seek God for forgiveness in the work of Christ and then to live in the reality of, that, of it and to share it. So I urge you, if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, put your faith in him because we read that is where hope is. My hope is in Jesus Christ because there's nothing of myself but my sufficiency is in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4, 5 and 6. Not that I think anything of myself, but my sufficiency is in Christ. I have no hope outside of God. He came to save, to deal with my sin. I can choose to live my life how I like, or I can choose to repent and live eternity with him. So I urge you, if your faith is not in Christ, then repent and believe on Jesus Christ and his completed work for your salvation. There is no hope outside of it. No hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. God, some of those things that we've read, that can be a bit of a check on us, that can be hard to hear. But Lord, not that you are loveless or without grace, but yet you, you write those words for us to read, to be convicted of, to see our true identity in the mirror so that we can repent, so that we can see who we are before you, a holy and righteous God. So, Lord, as we, as we talk with you now, God, convict us if we, our faith is yet not in you. Convict us of our sin, our sinful state. And, Lord, if we already have put our faith in you, Lord, help us to repent of anything that's keeping us from serving you faithfully, living in the true reality of who we are in you, who you've made us to be because of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, Lord. So, Lord, help us to repent. Help us to live in the light of what you have done for us and who we are in Christ.